Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another special bonus episode of The New Abnormal. We thank you so much for being here. Today we have an amazing episode with Miami Herald's Julie K. Brown, who's just come out with a new book that chronicles a lot of the reporting she's done and tells the story of Jeffrey Epstein. It's called Perversion of Justice, and we're going to get into what's inside the book with her today. Welcome to the new abnormal, Julie K. Brown. Thanks for having me. Very exciting. I'm such a fan of yours. I want to talk to you because you are the person who broke this story. And if it was not for you, Jeffrey Epstein would still be jetting around in his private jet. Who is the biggest villain in this story besides Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, man, you really put me on a spot. (laughs) Sorry. You can have multiple. There's a lot of villains. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of different villains in this story. Many of the victims, for example, would say that it is... Acosta, maybe? No, Ghislaine Maxwell, really, because a lot of the victims, and I'm saying the victims would say this, because she really started this whole idea of going out and recruiting young girls for Epstein, according to, you know, uh, the allegations against her. So she used her sort of her um, motherly, you know, and this is what they told me and what they have said to authorities, that she was a nurturing kind of warm woman. And so they felt they could trust her. You know, and that and they got kind of lured into this web, this horrible web of um, sex trafficking. Jesus. Just start a little bit with the beginning here, though, with Alex Acosta. Explain to me how that happened, because it was like Epstein was guilty. We all knew it. And then he got off. Well, it's a question of how much do we know and when we knew it. I think when this whole thing happens, they did a very good job of putting putting a lid on what he did. They hired uh, private investigators. They hired PR people, especially in New York. Yeah, talk to me about the New York PR people. I really, quite frankly, don't know all the people he hired. I didn't really study that, but I do know that he hired people because if you examine the coverage of this case in New York versus the coverage that was happening in Palm Beach at the time, you'll see a huge difference. In Palm Beach, they were at least saying that this involved underage girls. And in New York, they were just saying, well, he got in trouble for prostitution, minimizing this. And to some degree, they were successful in doing it in Palm Beach as well, because uh, his lawyers and his uh, PR machine uh, got to the prosecutors, especially the state attorney who was overseeing the case, Barry Krischer, and somehow convinced him that these girls who were, by the way, 13, 14, and 15, were prostitutes. And, uh, you know, as hard as that is to fathom back then, there still were laws on the books where someone who was that age, who was accepting money from someone for sex could technically be charged with prostitution. Um, That's no longer the case, of course, but back then that was still on the books. So Epstein's machine convinced 
Barry Krischer, the prosecutor, that, look, these girls are, you're, you're never going to win this case. You know, they got money for this. They were prostitutes. Ignoring the fact, of course, that there were, you know, ultimately dozens of them. And, um, and the way in which they were lured in there was really a means of fraud and coercion. It yeah. was not like, hey, we're going to pay you $100 for giving this guy sex. They didn't do that. They, they lied to the girls. They misled the girls. I mean, you, you can't do that. Yeah. Talk to me about Alan Dershowitz, because he's really got a big part in this story. And he's kind of obsessed with you. And, you know, my story, I think, <laughs> pushed a lot of his buttons. Yeah. You know? because, although, to be honest with you, I didn't really put anything in my, in my investigation, in my series that, that I I first released in, two, in uh, 2018. I didn't put anything in there that wasn't already in the public record. Yeah. I was pretty careful with that story. There aren't any anonymous sources in it. Everything was based on an original interview or uh, some kind of a public record. So it was sort of over the top the way he reacted to it, given the fact that it was all information, for the most part, that was that was pretty already out there and public, but it got a lot of attention. And I think he felt that somehow he had to find a way to discredit it just because it raised, you know, it brought him up as being in it again. He had also been very successful in convincing a lot of people in the media, quite frankly, that he had somehow been exonerated. There was a lawsuit that lawyers that named him uh, as being involved with Epstein's scheme. You know, he, they had a victim, Virginia Giuffre, who, accused Dershowitz of being involved. In fact, she said she had been pimped out to Dershowitz when she was 17. He sued her lawyers. And then there was this, you know, long negotiation and it was settled. And he somehow convinced the media uh, that, oh, it was settled. I was exonerated. But that wasn't the settlement. And so I I pointed that out in my story. It was accurate. And, you know, they they, the lawyers in the settlement never said that Virginia was lying or the or or that they were wrong. It was just a settlement, you know. Right. But Dershowitz was on the plane. He was at the island. I mean, his you know his defense is that he kept his underwear on. I mean, that's when your defense is that it's not a great look. No, you know he was in that Palm Beach house. There was a deposition by one of Epstein's. Butler saying that he was there and that he was there when there were young women and girls there. Uh, of course, you know, they didn't have any testimony. You know, these kinds of crimes don't happen with witnesses in front of them. Right. You know, how do you prove that he was having sex with with these girls or young women? I mean, really, how do you prove it? It is a difficult thing. You know, in the beginning, I was very, to be honest with you, I was very, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, right. it's a serious, serious, serious. Imagine being accused of something like this and you didn't do it. And I was very mindful of that. So I was really willing to give him a lot of time uh, to, to tell me what, or show me or give me evidence that he said he had to disprove this. But every time I did that, it was such a long song and dance and battle that it just became clear to me that he just, for whatever reason, didn't want to really show me that, that proof. And, you know, I'm not saying 
it doesn't exist. Just you never saw it. So if it did exist, it's a bit odd that he wouldn't show it to you. Talk to me about Epstein. I have to ask you this question. It's like, I hate to ask this question because I would rather talk about the victims and all they've been through. But do you think that Epstein killed himself? No, I don't think he killed himself. This is getting a lot of attention because I named, called one of my chapters, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Maybe I should have... <laughs> posed it as a question. But you know, when people ask me that, I say, no, I just don't think, what am I going to say? Well, I could be that one of those journals say, well, there's evidence on this side and there's evidence on that side. And I'm just not that kind of a person. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. And, And based on what I know, you know, and I don't have any proof, but based on the information that I know, I just don't think he did. Why? Well, number one, this was a man who felt he really was above the law. After this happened, you know, after he went to jail for this crime, even though it was not much of a sentence, he was interviewed by a reporter who asked him about this crime, and he compared what he did with these girls to stealing a bagel, okay? So he never thought ever that he did anything wrong. Yeah. Number two, he thought he was above the law. Number three, he had beaten the system pretty resoundly once before. Number four, this was very early in the process for him to throw in the towel. He had had his bail hearing. They hadn't had any litigation. He was still hiring lawyers up until the day that he allegedly committed suicide. This was a guy who didn't even tie his own shoelaces, probably. He had butlers doing everything for him. So how is he going to manage this feat of tying himself to the top bunk of his bed and pull himself with such force that he breaks, single-handedly, breaks three bones in his neck? I mean, I just don't see him doing that by himself. Now, do I think it's possible it was an assisted suicide? Yes, I do think that's possible. There's just too many missing pieces to this story. So Ken Starr's involvement in this case is pretty interesting. Can you explain it to us? First of all, one of the things that Epstein was very brilliant at was hiring the people, the right uh, lawyers, that each of them had some connection to the prosecutors in the case. They had been friends. They went to school together. One of them had dated one of the prosecutors. I mean, it goes on and on. Now, Ken Starr and Jay Lefkowitz were two lawyers that Epstein hired. Both of them were in what is known as the Federalist Society. This is a very conservative organization, um, mostly Republicans. It has picked all of our Supreme Court judges at this point, yeah. And remember that Alex Acosta's dream was to be a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. His mentor, Alito, had just been sworn in yeah. prior to him taking this U.S. attorney's job. So he wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. So who, you know, number one, you know, two members of the Federalist Society. But number two, these two lawyers, including Ken Starr, were a member of this very politically connected law firm, Kirkland and Ellis. And Acosta had worked at Kirkland and Ellis, and he knew Ken Starr from there. So these were very influential lawyers that Acosta had to confront. And in doing my research for the book, I found even more uh, documentation, these letters that Starr had 
written to, um, you know, Mark Phillip, who was then the assistant attorney general in the White House. And, you know, he really pulled out all the stops, you know, writing these very eloquent letters, citing the attorney general citing, you know, all these principles. And it was over the top kind of language trying to convince the Justice Department not to prosecute that they didn't really even have the jurisdiction. You know, that was the main thing. They right. trying to argue they didn't have the jurisdiction to prosecute Epstein. And he was successful, really, yeah. because they didn't prosecute him. He got a he got an immunity deal. There's a lot of talk about this, like MIT, Harvard, Bill Gates, David Brockman. What are you seeing there? I mean, do you see anything there, or do you think this is just like rich philanthropists getting together, or do you see more of a sort of connection there? This is just such a boys' club, you know. It's like asking what goes on behind closed doors. They had this little boys' club, and do I think? that they were all part of the sex trafficking? No. I do think that there were people that knew, there were people that um, enabled, there were people that, you know, looked the other way. So you don't feel like Bill Gates is involved in this? You know, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows who who all was involved in this. I don't think anybody knows. You know, I think that there have been enough names floated around that authorities should be questioning some of these people, Les Wexner, for example, uh, it's never been clarified that, you know, why he gave him millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. What do you think the thinking there is with all that stuff where you have these situations, you have these people giving him millions of dollars? I mean, there are a number of people throughout this story, including Leon Black and Les Wexler, who give who give Epstein millions of dollars or give him houses or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff like that. Do you have a sense for why that is? Well, there could be a, a lot of different reasons. I mean, of course, what they're saying is that it was because he provided them with financial advice. Well, think about it. Leon, Leon Black and Russ Wexner had the ability to hire the best financial minds in the world to help. Why Jeffrey Epstein? Why? What did Epstein have that, you know, one of your best advisors had? Well, one thing probably Epstein had, for example, was he probably kept a lot of secrets. Right, you know? exactly. Because um, we know he did because he, he had this sex trafficking operation on the side. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say they were involved. I mean, we just don't know. You know, a lot of people would like to know. But that's the job of authorities, and I hope that they are really digging into it because the problem with the first case was, you know, the authorities here in Florida came to suspect, and they knew because the FBI was starting to fly to New York, for example, and to New Mexico to try to talk to more victims, and that's when the whole case kind of got shut down. So I think that this is a cautionary um, tale for prosecutors on the case even now to not, you know, hold back and not or if they talk to someone who leads them to one of these important men, I hope they're going to pursue it. Do we have any sense of what happens now with the case? Well, you know, they, they're going to prosecute Elon Maxwell. They are. I think they're going to go through with it just because of what happened with Epstein. There's no way that they're going to give her a plea deal. So I think there will be a trial. She is taking a page out of the Jeffrey Epstein legal playbook and that she's hiring 
very powerful attorneys with connections who are throwing all kinds of um, motions in, you know, in an effort to drag the case, you know, along. And that's what Epstein did to wear down the prosecutors with all kind, every single legal argument you can imagine. I mean, that's what she's paying the big bucks for. She wants them to throw every legal argument they can, you know, and um, so we'll have to see what happens. Of course, she's going to argue that she was one of the unnamed people. Well, she has alluded to the fact that she was a victim. I don't know how that's going to play. I mean, she was, you know, of age and she certainly had been with him for a very long time. She also, you know, how did, what did he do to force you to go out into Palm Beach at spas and all those places and, and try to um, recruit um, so-called massage therapists? For so long. Have you heard at all about the arms dealing stuff? Is there any proof there or is that just wild conjecture? I mean, I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I, don't, I haven't followed that closely enough. There's all kinds of um, uh, things like that out there. And if I had to follow everyone, I would never. <laughs> I think there's so many. Listen, when I first started this story, there's so many rabbit holes I could have jumped down. Yeah. And at some point you have to, and even with the book, you have to kind of, you know, put a, a period at the end of the sentence and you have to, you know, you have to finish it. And, and you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I've been saying to uh, other people, um, you know, there's a lot of journalists on the story and I'm very happy that there are more journalists on the yeah. story because it is a big story. I can't do it by myself. I welcome everyone else that is working on it. I hope that they get to the truth. Um, you know, uh, you know, the Miami Herald has spent an awful lot of money for a, yeah. a, a regional newspaper uh, to to keep fighting uh, to unseal documents. You know, there's still a lot we don't know and we're working toward. And uh, I hope that people just keep uh, the pressure on. Well, you have been so um, dogged in your reporting, and it is really, I mean, you if any, if there's any justice for these women, it will be because of what you've done. Um, I have one last question for you, which is, do you feel, it feels to me like this case is so big, and there are so many tentacles to it, that it is kind of a Rorschach, that people just sort of put their own anxieties on the case. And do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see it all the time. I try to try to ignore that part of it because it's it's just overwhelming. For example, my other question is like when it comes to the Trump, you know, some people will say Clinton was on the plane, which he was on the Epstein plane. And then there's pictures of Epstein and Trump. Have you seen an either side connection to either of them? There's a connection on both sides. I mean, sexual assault and sexual abuse doesn't discriminate based on political party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes this story in some ways one of the rare ones in in our country right now where almost everybody can agree upon was a horrible crime and that the people on both sides, whether they're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, they were involved. They should be punished, you know? Yes, agreed. Thank you so much, Julie. This was a really great interview. So interesting to talk to you. And thank you. Thanks for having me. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. 
In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.